Good morning, church family. It is great to see all of you here. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to be here in just a couple of moments. We're working through our Beatitudes series where we're looking at the eight different statements that Jesus makes that, um, that show us how to be happy in life. And today we get to verse 9. We'll, we'll read that here in just a moment. It was the early 1870s, and the United States was just coming out of the Civil War, and weapons development was something that was on the mind of, of many people, from, from government agents all the way down to really the, the common citizen here in the United States, wondering how guns could be developed and made better in the wake of the Civil War. The U.S. was moving westward, where they focused so, so much on the East Coast, now it's becoming populated, they're moving westward. And, uh, and they're in constant conflict with Native Americans, with bands of, uh, of criminals left over from the Civil War. There was a man by the name of Samuel Colt who came up with a new invention in the early, excuse me, early 1870s where a gun could hold cartridges instead of manually loading the gun. Um, before, you had to load the black powder, the, uh, the the bullets and the primer in order to slowly fire the gun and then slowly reload the gun. But now there's a faster, more reliable, safer way um, to use a handgun than had ever been invented up to that point. The, the U.S. immediately bought 36,000 of those guns. And, uh, and Colt started selling them to the public for $17 a gun. Now, $17 then would be about $350 to $5 or so today. Um, but he was selling them en masse to the public. The gun became known as the Colt 45 or Peacemaker. There we go. Thank you. It was Pastor Rick that got that. I'm surprised. Great job, Pastor Rick. I'm proud of you. <laughs> yes, the 45 and the, the Peacemaker. It was known as the Peacemaker. Uh, it was the gun that won the West. Lawmen would carry this gun into, uh, to bring peace to the mining towns, the, the cattle towns. If you've ever seen a Western, you've seen a, a, a Colt peacemaker being carried in the Western. Now, if you really think about it, the point behind the Colt peacemaker um, was that peace could be brought about through violence. Okay? Peace could be brought about through violence. The, the cult peacemaker would have to act with violence in order for peace to come about. And the really, if you think about it, too, that's how the world at large thinks about peace. Many times all throughout our history as a nation, um, a conflict arises somewhere, and the response to that conflict is to send troops into battle to bring about peace. Um, you think about uh, the conflict in, with the Civil War that I mentioned a moment ago. The North and South were in conflict together, so let's send our armies in to bring about peace. In the 1940s, there's, co there's conflict all throughout the world. Let's send in our armies to bring about peace. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not saying that we should never do that, because I also understand that one of the ways peace is brought about is by conflict oftentimes. But what I'm saying is that this philosophy of bringing about peace is messed up. To enact violence in order for peace to come about, it just doesn't seem like it should work that way. There should be another way that it's supposed to work. You shouldn't have to use the violence of the cult peacemaker or a military force to bring about peace. But the necessity to do so is a product of the world that we live in. Because ever since Adam and Eve sinned and they brought sin into the world, humans have fought countless wars in an attempt to bring about peace. But church, listen, true, lasting peace... Genuine peace 
can only be found through Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to see as we study today. We're going to talk about uh, God's plan that is, honestly, is counter-cultural. It goes against the grain of what we think about as a culture, but it's 100% effective. Uh, Jesus hints at this peace and this beatitude, and then all of God's Word shouts about the peace that is offered through Jesus. That's what we're going to talk about here. Um, Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together and just ask that he bless our time together, and then we're going to jump into this, okay? Let's pray. Our Father, as, as we approach your word, we understand we do so not having all the answers. We believe we have the answer to the most important problem, question, Where is life found? Where is peace found? We believe with all our hearts it's found in Jesus. Father, we can't answer all the little things about our world that bring about conflict. We don't know the answer always. But Father, may we search out your word, see your heart, and then Father, be ambassadors, be messengers of peace. Father, would you bless our time here in your word to get today? And, and Lord, we pray that we not only learn from it, but we know how to apply it to our lives as a result of being in your word. Father, may you receive all the glory and honor that you alone are due. We love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this morning we're going to, work, we're going to look at the meaning of peace. Then we're going to look at the maker of peace, and then we'll look at the messengers of peace. And if you're looking ahead in your handout, you just got all three of your major answers right there, okay? But let's work through each one. First of all, the meaning of peace. What is peace? Hillary says that she lives in a house full of not just four boys, but five boys. And um, in a house full of five boys, sometimes some peace and quiet would be nice in our house. Um, No conflict, time where it's just, she she can chill a little bit. It's not so loud. Um, I've told you before about some of the loudness that takes place in our house, and I'm not exaggerating at all. But you know, a lot of times we think about peace as being simply the absence of conflict, right? Peace is the absence of conflict. That's kind of how we think about peace. If there's not fighting, then there must be peace. If it's quiet, then there must be peace. But that's not, that's not true. Um, if, if, if you think about a cemetery, okay, a cemetery, In a cemetery, there's typically very little noise. You probably are not going to see people fighting in a cemetery. But at the same time, I've been a part of services. I've been in cemeteries where there's no peace in a person's heart because they're grieving and they're they're in turmoil over something that's taken place in life. And so you can't say that the absence of noise or the absence of fighting is or conflict is, is, is peace. It's got to be something else. It's got to be something more than just that. I believe I would rightly argue that according to Scripture, peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of righteousness. It's not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of righteousness. Now, in Bible times, and even now in, in Hebrew cultures, the Jewish people would greet each other with the word shalom. Okay, what, is, what does shalom mean? Peace, right. Okay, but when they say that, when when one Jewish person greets another with the word shalom, they're not saying, I hope your life is devoid of conflict. 
That's not what they're saying, okay? What they're saying is, I hope God's blessings and righteousness rest on you. From ancient times, back in the Hebrew culture, that's what they were saying when they greeted each other. I hope that God's blessings and righteousness rest on you. James chapter 3, James um, ties peace and righteousness together when he says this. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Righteousness and peace go hand in hand. You cannot have true peace without righteousness because righteousness leads to peace. Isaiah does the same thing. He ties together peace and righteousness. Isaiah 32, 17. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. The effect of righteousness is peace. Okay, so when we are right with God, think about that vertical, right with God, that's when peace comes, okay? But it only comes through righteousness. We talked about righteousness a couple of weeks ago. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says. This is the same idea. Jesus, when he's about to leave earth, one of the last things he he taught his disciples was about peace. John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. All right, now think for just a moment, okay? Jesus is talking to his followers here. He's talking to his disciples. People who are in a right standing with God. People who are in a right standing with him. They are are righteous people. And what Jesus is saying is just like I have imparted my righteousness to you, I'm also imparting my peace to you. They go hand in hand. You see that? Jesus is speaking to these followers to let them know that true, ultimate peace and fulfillment is available to them. But this peace comes from that right relationship with God. Righteousness. True peace is the presence of righteousness. When we are right with God and man, God and man, our lives are going to be marked by peace. When we're pure before God, his peace reigns in our hearts and in our lives. When we've got right and honest and pure relationships with other people, then we're going to live in peace with them. An example of of this with other people is, um, is a marriage, okay, a marriage. A husband and wife could make it their number one goal to not have conflict in their marriage, okay? That's our number one goal in marriage. We're not going to have conflict, okay? But that doesn't mean that you've got a peaceful marriage. Because a truly peaceful marriage is going to come when the one person is true and right and pure before the holy person. When there's a righteous relationship there. That's when there's true peace in the marriage, It's not because, oh, I don't yell at my spouse or I don't speak out when I shouldn't. And honestly, sometimes attaining peace can only come through conflict as we seek to get to righteousness. Righteousness has got to be the end goal, and righteousness will inevitably then lead to peace. I think about God and the way that he designed the ultimate peace with him to come about. Um, And really, this kind of leads us into talking about the maker of peace. So we've been talking about the meaning of peace and how peace and righteousness are together, right? 
Okay, let's talk about the maker of peace, the originator of peace here for just a couple of moments. Take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Now I'll remind you as you turn there that um, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 is really God's redemption on display. You were dead in your sin, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace we've been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's not our own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of work so that nobody can boast. In other words, you can't boast about this. It's all God. Okay, so then we get to verse 11, and Paul starts talking about what peace with God looks like. So I'm going to read Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 18. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the circumcision, by what is called the circumcision, was made in the flesh by hands, which was made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Did you catch that? For he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. I want you to imagine with me this, this wall of hostility that Paul talks about there, okay? You're on one side, God is on the other. There's a wall of hostility because before we were saved, the full effect of God's wrath was on us because we were not his children. We were sinners. We were separated from God because he is a holy God and we were sinners, but then what happens is Jesus comes in and he knocks down the wall of hostility and he reconciles us to God. He becomes our peace between us and God. He's the one that restores us, that reconciles us together. There's a, um, there was an author by the name of Don Richardson who was a missionary to the, uh, to the Sawi people of South Pacific. He wrote a book entitled Peace Child in which he told of his search of a, for a way to explain the significance of Christ's death to the Sawi people. The tribe that he's working with was in a terrible feud with another tribe, and there seemed like there was no way that peace could be established. But a custom among all the tribes in that area stated that if someone in one tribe gave up his baby to another tribe, there would be peace between the tribes. The baby had to be given as a permanent gift. And as long as this person lived, this baby grown up into an adult lived, the peace would have to be honored. However, the, the two feuding tribes hated each other so much that nobody was willing to do that. Nobody was willing to give a baby. Finally, one man took the only child he had, was a baby boy, and ran to the enemy village to present him to them. Don Richardson talks about remembering this man's wife, chasing this man, trying to reach him to get that baby, but couldn't catch him. That child became known as the peace child. As long as he lived, there would be peace. 
Richardson used that incident as an analogy to explain Christ to the Sowie. He presented Christ as the peace child who established peace between God and man as long as he lives, which is forever. There was anguish in the heart of God the Father when his son died. And you can imagine the anguish in the heart of the, the, the Sowie father who handed his only child to the enemy tribe. But the peace established was worth the price. Folks, true peace is Jesus himself. There is no peace that can be found in this world that compares to Jesus. The peace that Jesus provides is for this life. It's for the eternal life that is to come. And when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, the insinuation there is that the peacemaker is somebody who's already found peace. And that now they are an agent or they're a messenger of peace. Listen, I believe that it is, it is safe to say that you cannot be a peacemaker the way Jesus talks about in this beatitude until you've found peace for yourself. And if you don't have peace with God or peace with other people, then it can be found through Jesus. Maybe you're looking in all the wrong places for peace. Folks, Jesus is that peace child, like the story told us there. But then once you've found the peace, then it's clear that you are to be a messenger of peace. So we talked about the meaning of peace. Peace and, and righteousness go hand in hand, okay? Righteousness, you cannot have peace without righteousness. We talked about the maker of peace or the originator of peace being God himself through Jesus. Jesus is that peace child. Now let's talk about the messenger of peace for just a couple of moments, okay? And that's us. That's, our, that's the Christian. That's, it's you and I. We are the messengers of peace. The Great Commission is Jesus sending out his disciples to go make disciples, to bring people into a peace relationship with God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it will be on the screen for you so you can read along, but here's what it says. It says, all this is from God, talking about salvation in general, it's from, from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the, ministry, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There's two terms there, and you can see them kind of highlighted or, or in bold on the screen. Um, but there's two terms that describe the role that we as Christians are to play in being this messenger of peace. Okay? Uh, Paul says that we are ministers of reconciliation. We have a ministry of reconciliation. Okay? That is our goal in life. That is our aim in life, to bring reconciliation from God to man. We're also ambassadors for Christ, proclaiming the name of Jesus like we talked about earlier, proclaiming the name of Jesus and that peace and life can only be found in Jesus. That's what we find out as we read this. We are those ambassadors for, for Christ. It's clear there, God makes his appeal through us. He uses us as Christians. I am, just imagine this. God, the creator of the universe, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who at any point could do any number of things to bring people into a relationship with, with him, what does he do? He makes his appeal through who? Us as Christians. That means he uses us as his messengers of peace. We are the ones 
he uses. That's awesome, isn't it? But an awesome responsibility as well. Messenger, being a messenger of peace means that we, we um, literally, we practically help bring people into a relationship with God. But then we also very practically and literally bring peace to other people. So think about the home for a moment, okay? Just think about your home. Homes of others that you may know. You know, it's, it's really sad. The home is supposed to be a haven, but oftentimes the home is, is more of an, a place of anger and animosity than a place of peace. How can you be a peacemaker in your home? What about our community? I'll be honest, I can't even go on um, <clears throat> one of the local news apps on my phone without seeing that, that there's been an, a, another shooting here in our town, our city. How can you be a peacemaker in our community? Or what about the church? You know, I'm thankful for the way that, that so often if there is a conflict that pops up that, that people work it out with each other. But you know, a lot of, a lot of times we're, we're more agents of divisiveness than agents of peace. How can we be peacemakers in our church? What about your workplace? So think about the place in which you work, or, or maybe it's the place in which you spend time, or maybe it's the place in which you work out, or maybe it's the place in which you eat. How can you be a peacemaker in those different places? What Jesus is doing here is he's saying, blessed are the peacemakers. I'm calling you to this. I'm calling you to be a peacemaker, Jesus is saying. Romans chapter 10, verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. You know how I feel about feet, right? I'm not a feet guy. I don't like feet. But there is nothing in this world that's greater than being a messenger of good news. What's this good news? Oh, the good news is that God sent his son Jesus so that we could have peace with God and peace with man. That's the good news. It's a high calling. When I only have the opportunity and the privilege to take the gospel of peace to the world, we've got the responsibility to do so. And we can't take it lightly. If the people in our world are going to experience peace that lasts, that's true, that's eternal in nature, that it's only going to come when we live out the calling that we have received to be peacemakers. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And like each one of the Beatitudes, there's a promise that comes with this, okay? So blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, the, the, um, the significance and the weight of this, of this promise is, is really heavy, okay? okay um, hold on with me as I, as I go through this, okay? Because I really want you to get this. There is no person or being who has ever lived or who ever will live who is a peacemaker like God is. Can we agree on that? Like He is the ultimate peacemaker. There's none greater than, than him. There's no way to compare him to anybody else. There's no politician, no pastor, no treaty negotiator, nobody who comes close to being the peacemaker that God is. When a person is known for doing something great or for some great character that they have, it's not easy to forget that person. 
So when that great person's son or daughter comes along, they're often measured against the success of their parent. So if the child does something that doesn't match up to, uh, to the greatness of their parent, they're often met with disappointment from people around them. So people might would say, oh no, um, I, I thought that they were going to amount to more than that. Or, mm, boy, they sure aren't, aren't their parent, are they? Not that we would ever say that, but you might would hear that said, right? But on the other hand, if that son or daughter has success of their own, or if they show great character and integrity in something, then many times people are going to respond with, I knew it. That, that, that son, that's the son of, of such and such person, or that's the daughter of such and such person. I knew that they would do a great job. The bar was already set really, really high. Listen, we will be known as God's children simply by the way that we become peacemakers. So here's what Jesus is saying. You want to be known as a son or daughter of God? Then live up to the example that he's already set. There is no greater peacemaker in this world than God is. None. And we, in turn, are to be peacemakers. And what are people going to say? Oh, that's a son of God. That's a daughter of God. That's a child of God. What do you want people to say about you? If you want them to say that, then be a peacemaker. When you walk into a room, it's not all of a sudden conflict. It's, oh, here we go, peace. It's not, oh, I'm not too sure about their character or their integrity. No, that's a peacemaker. Here's three application questions for you. And they're on your handout so you can think about them in, in the days ahead. Number one, what are you relying on to bring peace apart from the righteousness of Christ? What are you relying on to bring peace apart from the righteousness of Christ? And it could be anything. It could be uh, possessions. You know, and if I just have such and such, then I'll, ha- I'll be at peace. If this person will just talk to me, then I'll be at peace. If, if, if this or this or this will just happen, then I'll be at peace. What are you relying on for peace other than the righteousness of Christ? Number two, you cannot be a peacemaker until you are a peace-filled person. How can you be peace-filled? How can you grow in that area? How can you be developed in that area? I'll tell you, first of all, you go to God's Word, and you read God's Word. You spend time in prayer, and you will inevitably, because our God is a God of peace, you will become a person of peace. But devote yourself to God's Word. How can you be more peace-filled? Number three, what do you need to do to be a better peacemaker? What do you need to do to be a better peacemaker? And it's probably different for all of us. It could be that um, just sending a text to somebody to encourage them when they're going through a difficult time is you being a peacemaker. It could be that you've got a couple of siblings who are just arguing and fighting with each other and they cannot get along. And it's, it's just you going, being a go-between. Say, hey, let's, let's talk about this. You know, it could be that there's somebody that you know that doesn't have peace with God at all. And so you go to them and you are a peacemaker between them and God as that agent, that ministry of reconciliation, that ambassador that we talked about earlier. Regardless of what it is, how can you be a better peacemaker? Church, let's strive to be better peacemakers. Sound good? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for 
being the greatest peacemaker that we could ever have. Father, you initiated a relationship with us by sending Jesus, and he became that peace child that we so desperately needed. And now, Father, in turn, may we be peacemakers, and may we ultimately give glory to you by being called your children. So when people look at us, they don't see us in our works, our good behavior, anything like that. What they see is you. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.